Hey everyone, welcome to Sunny Commutes, a podcast where I combine the worlds of web development and business and share my experiences. This is podcast episode 73, and it's going to be a very exciting one because I'm actually reposting from a podcast that I was on with Sergio Matei. He asked me a bunch of questions on the Shipcast, which is a live streamed podcast. So it was a really interesting experience. Never did a live stream podcast before. But he asked me a bunch of questions around personal branding, uh, consistency, burnout, um, you know, my side business, Iron Mike, and kind of the, the plans that we've taken it so far and what we have planned in the future and things like that. So I think there's a lot of uh, really cool and interesting knowledge that we shared on this episode. And uh, it is an hour long and it's also audio only because the video got a little bit messed up. Uh, so, you know, the, the quality could have been better for sure, but I, again, I think the value in this episode is really good. So yeah, I hope you enjoy. Yeah, uh, so you, I noticed that you've been building like, uh, this is kind of a, a, a little transition, but you've been building a lot of things, but mostly your personal brand. Like I've been noticing that you've been doing a lot of blog posts uh, related to your personal brand and you, you actually have one of the best brand trajectories that I've seen, at least on Twitter. I mean. <laughs> Uh, you, the you've been, uh, yes, <laughs> you've been pumping out content with a lot of discipline. You've been pumping out, uh, a lot of podcasts, blog posts, advice, tweets, and they're all really useful stuff. Not only, uh, to code tutorials, um, uh, blog posts for indie makers advice. Um, so I, I really want to get into your, that aspect of your, uh, of your current indie maker journey, right? I want to talk about your personal branding and the stuff you've been doing because it's I've been noticing it a lot and it's super effective. You've been hitting it hard with a lot of discipline and that's a lot something a lot of indie makers lack. Uh, so tell me, how did you get started uh, with your personal branding journey and how did you discover that yeah. you needed a, a better personal brand and whatnot? So... Obviously, I've been coding since I was 13, and so I've been building, like, multiple products since then. And it's always been, um, I don't remember, even remember, like, do you remember Unveiled Entertainment or, like, my UMD? Those, that was, like, my first kind of media site. Um, that's kind of my first site. When I was 13, I was started with that. That was, like, my brand. And then from there, I moved on to Ninjality. It was, like, a web development agency. That was, like, web development-focused brand. And then I moved on to social networks. Um, I had Hylus, which is kind of a general purpose social network. Uh, actually, <laughs> I remember asking about it, Sergio. Uh, apparently, I did then invite you over to the beta. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I spent <laughs> so months waiting bad. for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I had multiple uh, projects that have all failed in one way or another. So Hylus, uh, CodeView was uh, in 2015. That was like the last project before uh, Iron Mike. Um, and now Iron Mike. And so I had all these different projects, right? And the main issue I had with kind of like jumping from project to project, brand to brand, is that I didn't have anything to push the next project that I had. I didn't have a personal brand. I didn't have like any marketing channels. I didn't have anything to help me out. And so I realized like, obviously I can't always, when we start a project, we always think this is going to be it. It's going to be the big project. It's going to blow up, right? Uh, Usually it's not the case, and even if you get some ounce of success, like you don't always want to be associated 100% with that product necessarily. And so regardless, I wanted to make sure that I had uh, a brand that was kind of just me all throughout. I didn't want to just you know 
have like project to project, have to market every single one, just kind of have it be about my personal brand. Um, and that helps me, you know, get the marketing channels I need. It helps me get kind of like a following that are just following me versus just that single project. So it's less about like making it more like marketing and having also just a person behind it. Because then if you see, you know, people are aware of like who I am and they might know about Armite because I talk about it on social media and whatnot and I you know, write about it, I, you know, do videos. And so people will be aware of the product just through my personal brand. And, uh, you know, they might not be a customer, but then eventually it kind of just helps build that relationship early on. So I just realized the importance of personal branding is like huge, especially nowadays and making it seem like uh, the business is not, you know, just an ent- like personless like entity um, that, you know, you're just trying to shove marketing down their throats. So, so yeah, personal branding, I think, is absolutely huge. I, I like what you're doing because that's absolutely correct. Um, doing backing your personal success off of um, one single project. It's like putting all your marbles into one thing, right? So yeah. that's absolutely true that you need to build a personal brand. And it's also about building, as you said, an audience, right? So um, you want to be able to market future projects that you do uh, to other people that are interested not just in your projects, but you. Uh, you as as your trajectory is your career that's actually a great approach um so something i was touching on earlier is discipline and that's a a problem that a lot of makers face right so we want to do a lot of things very often we want we have a lot on our plate um how do you manage to keep up pumping content daily what are some tricks or, or or ideas that you have that have helped you uh you know, continue this content creation trajectory yeah. that a lot of people aren't very good at. I mean, consistency is tough, right? It's it's crazy difficult. Um, and I, I, I'm not perfect with this either. There's sometimes like I'll go a full week or multiple weeks sometimes uh, not writing a single piece of code, not sharing, you know, any progress on a project or not putting any content out. Uh, but honestly, for me, the content part helps me kind of keep up my personal brand and it's a, not to say that it's easier than working on a project, but being able to release something more often, which you could do with the project. So being able to do kind of incremental feature uh, updates, but with content, you know, write an article, um, do a, a podcast episode, kind of something small that you can push out more, you know, not necessarily on a daily basis, maybe like every couple of days or every week, just faster than kind of your, what you're mainly focusing on. And so that will allow, allow you to kind of get that, I guess, adrenaline rush or just kind of uh, like the feedback of, oh, people are looking at my stuff. You know, I'm still uh, doing, you know, something that's relevant, you know, what, how, whatever you call it. But it allows you to kind of um, not burn out because you're able to uh, work on something continuously. If you're doing it, that helps, but usually you're kind of uh, heads deep and you're just coding and you're not pushing anything out as frequently with content. You're able to push it out more frequently and get people kind of, you know, looking at your stuff and um, talking with you and stuff like that. Uh, besides that, though, I think the biggest thing is remembering why you're actually doing what you're doing and having the passion for it. Sometimes we just forget completely why we're doing it, just kind of, it's so repetitive. And so you, forget like initially why you were interested in the first place right and so uh remembering why kind of just having that passion for what you do if there's something that you're not interested in i 
this, this is kind of difficult to say, but I recommend just kind of stopping it. Uh, this is why I have so many failed projects. I decided I'm not really interested in, you know, doing web development agency like client work. There might be money in it, but that doesn't matter to me personally. And so why continue doing it, right? Uh, so yes, that's the main thing. Just, you know, just making sure you remember why you're doing something and anything that you're not interested in doing that you're not as passionate about, especially if you have school or work um, and you're doing all this stuff on the side, making sure you spend your time wisely, you're spending it on stuff that you actually care about. Now that we've talked a lot about discipline, um, how, how has your growth been after joining the indie maker community? Um, how did you discover the indie maker community? And what have you learned from your whole experience um, from transitioning? Uh, I'm not sure if you were, uh, you've always been doing this, but transitioning from a, from a traditional business model uh, to the bootstrapped business in the uh, human touch. How, how do you, how has the transition been and how did you discover the community? Yeah, honestly, I think, I mean, I was always like on the different social networks and I was kind of following your progress here and there. I remember when you were initially uh, working on MakerLog and sharing the, the Discord and stuff, the initial like beta uh, versions of it. And so I remember kind of seeing that uh, Product Hunt and Hacker News and all those were like around and I was kind of within those communities, but there was really no singular place. Like now with, you know, with um, MakerLog, the website and, um, you know, Maker's Kitchen and the MakerLog uh, Telegram chat, there's just so many chats, even besides those three, I'm definitely joining more like communities now kind of seeing the importance of them. But uh, I think I know Kyle initially mentioned me, he was kind of a little bit closer with those communities. So he mentioned it to me. And then from him, I decided to join uh, Maker's Kitchen. And, uh, and pretty much, I mean, just uh, everything around that programming. And, and it was just something that allowed me to kind of stay more interested in what I was doing. It, gave me the energy that I needed. And in terms of growth, it also allowed me to push like, like the stuff that I was working on, actually push that out to people, get feedback, get actual users from it, because we're all kind of like, oh, uh, you know, someone launched a product like Chrome extension that locks um, or that remembers what uh, social network used to log in, right? That's personally useful. And so because we're part of the same community, um, and that's from a Peter, uh, the Ellis, I think. I yeah, uh, Peter Thielikis. I'm not exactly sure yeah. how to pronounce his, his second name, but I, it's probably going to be in the chat on, on Twitter, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but like that's that's one example of great product. You know, Kanban Mail from Ethan, who was on uh, the first episode. I would not even, besides like Product Hunt, uh, even just seeing those products, I probably would not necessarily join them just from seeing them there or, or try those products out, but just being part of the community and knowing that I know this person and I see the stuff that he's been working on and he's finally launching it. I'm kind of, I can kind of be part of that launch. And the same thing goes if I launch something, you know, when we launched Iron Mike, for example, you know, we pasted it in the, the different channels and stuff and we were able to get people to upload it based on that. And so uh, we were able to definitely grow from that, get more people eyes on the stuff that I was building, the stuff, uh, and then vice versa. And then um, in terms of just personal branding following, like, uh, I guess just putting numbers to it, like I don't think the numbers really matter, but just putting numbers to it, um, I think I had less than like 300 followers on Twitter before joining. Now I'm pretty close to reaching a thousand, which is slow growth compared to most, but uh, it's it's still like just relatively speaking, 
I definitely will not be able to grow as fast and I have more engagement. I'm able to see more people in my feed that I actually care about and, and have people, you know, respond to the stuff that I post. So I think there's community is so important and I was able to, uh, th that was a big lesson for me. Um, and then I think you had some other aspect you wanted me to mention, right? Um, yeah. So actually, hold on. No, it was mostly, yeah, just about growth. Um, and generally how, uh, you've started how you built that uh, your trajectory building that uh, that audience that will help you market as you said market your products more efficiently um, do you find that uh, you've been building that indie making and you know being being close to to makers of products do you find that has actually helped a lot in in terms of uh, growing an audience in a sense yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it all comes down to community. So the maker community is just one aspect of it. I, I don't think um, everyone that might necessarily be watching this would be, you know, be. I mean, you could be part of that community, but maybe there's uh, someone that's more interested just purely in like programming. And so there's been a couple of uh, Twitter discussion chats that I've been a part of, and I was able to grow like a following and kind of form another community of people that I'm familiar with but they're, you know, separate from the maker community. And so in terms of growing my personal brand, they're both still like like-minded people, you know, it's the coding side, but their content on that side. And so uh, just finding, I guess, like-minded people in different like sectors of the internet in that sense um, is really cool. And then is able to grow my personal brand, but then also, you know, I can shout out here and there when I'm working on uh, Iron Mike or whatever projects I might work on in the future. I can, able to promote that better without kind of just spamming my, my timeline constantly, which is what, when people join social media initially, that's kind of what they focus on, but it's completely not about that. We should focus on actually being social on social media and kind of just pushing out content, pushing out actual value to people. And then from time to time, you know, be like, hey, I am working on something. I would love for you to check it out. You know, go look at that. So um, I don't know if you like, follow like Gary Vaynerchuk, but he has this phrase like um, jab, jab, right hook. And so it kind of goes into that, you know, provide a bunch of value and then kind of um, do a right hook of like, you know, hey, do something back for me, but you don't have to. There's, there's no there's no expectation from kind of any of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, so you've mentioned a lot uh, that finding a community has been a, a great experience for you uh, in terms of not only building an audience, but a but a, a good experience as, as a developer, right? So uh, this is something that I've been thinking about and I'd love to get your input on it. And it, it might be a little unrelated. It's kind of like an aside, but do you think that lately there's been a rise of small communities on the internet that perhaps social media got a little too large and everybody is starting to break it down into very small and, and in niche communities as it used to be before. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I think that's actually the beauty of social media. You can kind of, especially on Twitter, you can find a group of people that you, you know, like like-minded people, but you kind of are able to talk about things that you care about. And if there's something that you don't, then you go block it or you don't participate in those sections. Um, the thing is like my, my Twitter and you know, your Twitter and whoever else is, especially someone that's not part of like the maker community or development, they're going to see different content. And so, um, yeah, I think it's definitely, you know, 
we form kind of our circles and we um, are able to kind of form our like little social networks um, on social networks. I, I think it's definitely the case. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this this little aside. All right. So moving on from this little aside, because it's been just watching the artisanal internet and and you know uh, small communities rise has been super fascinating to me. Um, moving on from this little aside, what are, let's talk a little about Iron Mike. So. Iron Mike, uh, for those unfamiliar, is as I mentioned before earlier, um, allows podcasts to easily create like their own websites, right? So typically, for podcasts to create websites, you you have to do API integrations, you have to write a lot of code to automatically fetch podcasts, and in fact, uh, this was kind of my challenge building or Ethan's uh, challenge when building the Shipcast website. You had to do a lot of automation, right? And this solves a big pain point for podcasters, right? So you've been building uh, Iron Mike for a while. It launched a few months ago on Product Hunt. How has that journey been? And uh, what have you learned from the whole experience of building Iron Mike? Yeah, so we're probably getting close to like a year now because we launched it in August of last year, of 2018. Um, but the idea actually, it, it did conceptualize from just my own personal pain point with having my own podcast um, because I... I didn't, I wasn't even planning on really on starting a podcast. It was like in the back of my mind, I wasn't really considering I'd have like enough time to actually, you know, go through the whole thing and start it. Uh, but then eventually I decided like, you know what, I have this 30 minute commute, you know, to work. And so why not? Let me just go ahead and do it safely, obviously. But, you know, I just started recording on my phone, just, you know, random topic points that I was kind of thinking in my head anyway. Uh, but the point of that is that I did not put any time into podcasting um, initially. And so I also did not want to put in the time to build a website for it. And every time I launched a new episode, I did not want to you know, build integration into it or post manually. And so all of that kind of like with me just being lazy, I did not want to build a, a website for my podcast. But then instead, I decided to spend three months to build Iron Mike to, because I did not want to build a website, right? Which probably would have been faster. But uh, with Iron Mike, I, I'm able to provide an automated platform that lets people build a website for any of their podcasts. So it's not just me. I'm using it, obviously, on Sunny Commutes. But then for any other podcast, anyone's able to you know, use it. And because it's automated, you don't have to you know, you don't have to uh, worry about when you post a new episode that your website's up to date. Uh, so that's definitely the cool part uh, about Iron Mike. And in that whole journey, when we initially launched, this was the first paid product. And so my biggest worry was that no one would use it because they would have to pay for it. Uh, actually getting someone to, you know, take out their credit card and say, okay, this is valuable enough for me to put money into this, I think is a really huge deal. And so in the first year, um, or initially when we launched, uh, we launched initially on Indie Hackers, and this was a day before going on Product Hunt. And on Indie Hackers, we actually got zero uh, users. Uh, we got some good feedback, but nothing too crazy. Then the second day, we finally landed on the first uh, page of Product Hunt. And then I believe we got like uh, maybe two or three people started signing up. And that was huge. Like, that was the most exciting time. If there's any time in 
um, any person that's you know developing and building products, like any time that's most exciting, it's definitely when you initially launch a product and start seeing users come in and sign up and especially pay you money. Um, it's, it's like the best feeling in the world. And, and yeah, so I was super excited about that when we initially launched. Um, from there, it was pretty much just, you know, working with our current customers and kind of making sure that everything was working. There were a couple of bugs actually. And when I went on a trip to Germany, I was actually like working remotely to try and fix like, you know, um, the place we're staying at, you know, using their Wi-Fi and like fixing a critical bug with the way uh, feeds were updated. So it was a lot of uh, stress in that case, but it was so awesome being able to work with people that were uh, really understanding. Um, and that's a, the, the main thing I, I found out is that when you have really good customers and when you have, I guess, I don't know what necessarily goes into it, but maybe just kind of the culture and kind of the, maybe even the design of, of the app and kind of promoting like a really friendly uh, UI maybe, I don't know, but uh, we, we had customers who were like really, really uh, friendly with us and they were understanding, they knew that we were small. That's the other thing. So making sure that you let people know that you're small, you know, it's, it's three people, it's myself, it's Kyle McDonald and Leon Hitchens. We all kind of handle different aspects of, of it. Uh, but knowing that we are small actually gives us an advantage because we don't have to seem like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're the big dogs. We're competing with like square space and stuff. And that, you know, that, that means that we provide a high quality. No, we're, we're just, we're, you know, we're, we're learning as we go and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to kind of fix and stabilize things as much as possible until we get to the point where like, yeah, we are one of the big dogs eventually. Um, but just kind of working with the people actually use your product, getting their feedback, we've implemented some things based on their feedback, um, it has really been like kind of a learning experience for me. So a lot of like crazy things with Iron Mike that's been happening. Um, and I can also kind of talk about the future, but that's that's probably the, the big things that I learned uh, kind of throughout all this experience. Um, so earlier on when you were talking about Iron Mike, like literally a few seconds ago, you mentioned something that's been... Uh, a big pain point for pretty much every indie maker out there, right? So you mentioned that it was kind of scary, your whole transition from actually making a first, your first paid product and uh, all the fear that comes around with it. And this is something that I personally, I've been facing it since I've been trying to actively monetize MakerLog and it's scary. It, it is absolutely sure. very, 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 very scary uh, going to people and telling them, hey, uh, pay X every month to me and you know how what was a resource that helped you get out of that fear or how did you finally move on from that fear to launching your first paid product i think it was i think it's just time after time launching free products like i had the experience with launching free products and so i guess this there, there's less of a surprise factor in terms of just you know launching something out there for, for me personally. Uh, and so a paid product, I guess, was like a new challenge. And I also was thinking uh, at this point that I could take something that, you know, I have a passion for that I enjoy and potentially make money from it. And so it was just that confidence that I had in myself and like the people that I, you know, that I worked uh, on Iron Mike with, just kind of that confidence knowing that, no, we could launch something and we could, you know, you know, we're not there yet, but we could eventually be able to do this full time. Um, and that's kind of one of the goals that I want eventually 
and I'm sure the same goes for you, Sergio, with, with MakerLog and the different products you're making, you want to eventually have uh, enough income to, to support yourself and, and the stuff that you're building. You know, this stuff takes time. It's not like we're, you know, we're building something that is, is trivial or uh, is not worth other people's money. I think we're all building something that is valuable. And if something's valuable to someone, it, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be a fear of asking uh, money from them because, you know, the worst case scenario, uh, no one pays for it. And then you look at other, um, other things that you might try to either make it valuable enough for people to pay or you offer a free plan. So I think just trying something out, taking that risk, uh, trying something that, you know, is completely new for you uh, is important because if you don't try at all, you'll never know if it actually works. And the chances are you're probably going to learn something from it too. So you really have nothing to lose if you truly think um, that, you know, that it should be a paid product, definitely make it a paid product. Most people actually undervalue their services. Uh, with Iron Mike, it's actually really cheap, but we, you know, we're kind of trying to make it where it's super competitive with that way. And we're actually going to be offering a free plan uh, in the future that's going to be, you know, intensive to upgrade with the custom domains, which is, uh, what we support now, but we want to kind of make it where, uh, you know, it does provide value, but we want to also grow it as a brand and make it, make it something that when people hear about websites and podcasts, they think of Iron Mike and kind of lowering that barrier to entry, kind of like what Anchor has done with a podcast hosting. So the same thing for websites and maybe we'll expand to other things. I don't know, but um, yeah, I think the fear is there, but just kind of trying it out and seeing what happens, it's, there's really no, no risk in that, I think. So, uh, as you mentioned earlier, um, what strategies have been the most effective to gain subscribers and get people onboarding, right, onboarding podcasters onto Iron Mike? What, ha what have you tried? What's worked and what's not? Yeah, so... marketing on TikTok we've been able to use like it's weird calling it a tactic but um, just kind of reaching out to podcasters because a lot of our audience is uh, on Anchor and Anchor is a free platform and you know everyone has an Anchor page but it's highly branded to Anchor Anchor's branding and not their own and so we're able to kind of just reach out not be super slimy about it just kind of being like you know, just being active in the community it also helps that I'm in the podcast community I have my own podcast so if I ever want to you know, reach out to someone, I can just do it as myself. This goes back to the personal branding aspect of it, right? And so it definitely helps when your product is something that you use yourself and is also maybe related in some way to kind of the personal brand that you're trying to create. Uh, but in terms of what, in terms of onboarding, we definitely found it where we need to reduce the, the friction it takes from going from the homepage to being done and having your podcast website. So there's a couple of little things that we did. Uh, the first one is we have this preview feature. And so actually, if you go on you know, ironmike.fm, you start searching for uh, the name of your podcast, it will generate like a preview link with a almost fully working uh, website. You know, if you click on something, it's, it's gonna show a pop-up saying you know, to sign up. But, it, it does create a, a preview with all of your podcast information, everything on that page. And that's what I've been doing, actually, is I've been creating a short link of that and sharing that with people. So 
before they even sign up, they can see exactly what they're going to get, uh, the full website. They can test out different themes and stuff. So I think that's been uh, definitely a helpful thing about it, just kind of being able to go from search to a preview and then desi deciding there, okay, this is what I want. Like, I want to build this site right now. There's a button up, up top to be able to build the site. You know, you make an account. Um, there's Twitter and Google login, of course. And then you're pretty much done at that point. You, there is the paid aspect of it. And so it's kind of, I think, the, the biggest, uh, biggest problem we're getting into. And uh, hence why we want to offer a, a free plan with a subdomain under podcast.page. So I kind of got like this generic domain. Hopefully we can get rid of the, the payment screen so that you can literally go from search to having a, a website in like under a minute. So um, yeah, I think definitely reducing the friction to onboarding, reducing the number of steps it takes, making the user experience kind of a, as seamless as possible, not having... Uh, too many forms to fill out and things like that. So just, I guess, general good UX practices uh, definitely apply. And then just kind of wowing people with like, you're not even signed up, but you get to see what you, what you get. So I think that's definitely the cool part. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree with reducing friction. I mean, uh, it is so important to make sign up and onboarding as simple as humanly possible. Um, and that strategy has been very interesting because I have tried it before. I've actually logged in uh, some uh, kind of a few, yeah, a few months ago. I logged into the Iron Mike website, and I loved the fact that you could just uh, you could just point a URL to it, and it would show you an example. I think it was your page uh, at first. I think the first one I tried it was your page. You would put in a link, and it would show you essentially a whole preview of what you would get, and that's such a draw. Uh, that helps draw people in uh, by by showing them, as you said, exactly what they're going to get. That's super, super valuable. Um, I remember my first lesson with friction. This is kind of an aside, but my first lesson with friction was uh, I was preparing for something called Microsoft Imagine Cup, and I had a product. And uh, I, I took it to this guy who was kind of a, a, my mentor for the whole competition. And uh, when I showed it to him, he was like, Okay, let's draw out every little step that I need to take from getting to the homepage to posting a story. This was on the tailship. Right. Yeah. And when we put that on the whiteboard, we were so, I was so impressed that it was, it almost covered the whole whiteboard, right? From a simple login form and sign up form, it, it it really showed me the importance of redu reducing friction, and that's probably a great uh, that's probably also great advice for a lot of the listeners here. If you're worried about friction, uh, what worked for me was just putting it on a whiteboard every single step that the user takes from homepage to action. Um, uh, anyways, that was a, a small aside. Um, so, how is Iron Mike doing in terms of stats, uh, in terms of subscribers and reach? How how is the business running at, as a whole? right now uh so that that is definitely the the tricky part right now i probably i would say i definitely have stagnated in terms of the growth since since uh i guess start of this year uh we grew very quickly so we grew i think within the first few months we had uh, about maybe 12 customers something like that uh which relatively speaking like just getting a few customers uh that paid for my product was huge 
And the problem is we kind of stayed there. You know, we got one or two here or there. Uh, we got a couple monthly, we got a couple yearly, and no one has really dropped out yet, which is great. But uh, I think that right now what we're trying to do is there's a lot of people that have uh, signed up. I don't remember the exact number, but uh, definitely at least 100 people that have signed up as just regular users, just trying to check out the service, right? And getting them to convert over to a paid plan has been really difficult. We even got someone that emailed us saying, oh, I didn't even know it was a paid service. I thought it was free. Even though you scroll down on the homepage and like it says, you know, the pricing information is all there, right? Um, but regardless, like that is still valid feedback, I think, because people will visit certain sites and they think, oh, this is something that should be free or this is something that is useful, but, you know, not enough for me to pay or I don't see the advantages just yet. Uh, and so what I want to do is through, you know, podcast that page, be able to offer like, you know, it's, it's the same service essentially, but it's and it's, you know, it's really is just a free plan. But from a branding aspect, what we're trying to do is make it where it's kind of like its own product, its own thing, where you, you, you have this kind of idea in your head where, oh, I want my own podcast page, like a podcast app page. You know, you, you go to that, you search for your podcast, and then you sign up without having to pay for anything. And you have a subdomain. So you could have, for example, you know, Elon Musk, let's say he starts his own podcast. If he doesn't already, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, Elon Musk .podcast page, And so all of a sudden now you have your own personally branded website and, you, you know, you didn't have to, um, you didn't have to, we didn't have to sell to, to Elon that he has to pay for uh, the service. So I, I think that's kind of the huge part. Um, so it's going to be the free plan. It's going to be uh, reducing kind of the, the onboarding steps, like you said, reducing friction and then trying to get it where our user experience, like everything is super simplified and essentially doing like a version two of Iron Mike. I think that's something we have to do this summer to be able to one kind of capitalize on our brand. I think more people are aware of it within the first year. And so I think that's huge. We need to make sure that the people that are aware of it, the people that have tried it, um, be able to get them to actually, you know, there's a lot of more people that start a podcast this year too, which is great. Um, especially now just in the maker community. So I'd love for them to even just, you know, if they don't have websites for them to be able to say, oh yeah, I'd love to get an Iron Mike website and there's nothing stopping me from doing that. So um, hopefully, you know, with version two, we are able to kind of, you know, grow from where we started and not stagnate so much and be able to continue with everything that we've been doing. So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm excited to see kind of more where the future leads, but um, you know, currently, I think it's, it's everything's been pretty stable. It's just kind of stagnated in, in terms of growth. Um, so, uh, hold on, I'm, I'm processing. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, man, I had an idea. I, ha I had something to ask you like a second ago and I completely forgot. Um, oh, so, yeah, uh, as you were saying. Oh, right. So, um the free plan is something that's particularly interesting, as you said, because uh, so what you're trying to do is essentially get as many people uh, locked in to your platform. And that's a completely valid strategy. That's a great idea, actually. Um, the, uh, I think personally that SASs should definitely try to, uh, you know, as a good retention strategy. And this may sound a little evil, right? 
but getting people locked into your platform, perhaps uh, using a free plan or, or something to get them to just try it and put their data there and have that commitment mm -hmm. is definitely something that can help ease conversions later, right? So uh, what are your thoughts on the strategy? And uh, is this some, kind of like what you're aiming for with Iron Mike? Yeah, because like, so we initially launched obviously as a paid product and that was kind of the big part of it, which is why I didn't want to do it to kind of be my, my first paid product and something that people paid to use. Um, and there is like a quality thing to it too. I figure, you know, if we make this really good, we put a price on it that anyone that's, you know, that, that looks at it, they'll, they'll pay for it and we'll have the same number of users. Obviously that's not the case. There's going to be way more users than you are going to have actual paid customers. And, you know, just, there's because there's still people though that are looking at the site. I think it's totally valid technique to offer some sort of free plan to kind of lock people in. Um, because one, if they will ever want to leave, they still can, right? And you don't necessarily you should not like shove marketing down their throats. You know, send a bunch of emails. Like I don't recommend doing any of that stuff. Absolutely. But yeah, but you know, just having kind of you know people log in, uh, do what they need to, and kind of just having in there like, oh, you know. Have you considered like having a custom domain or, you know, that, you know, RMI logo we have at the bottom? You, do you want to like remove it so you could have a completely kind of professional looking site? There's zero RMI branding. Um, and we're trying to you know, minimize it. It's like it's at the bottom. It's not like the, the other podcast sites. But, uh, you know, just kind of being able to not market just to any random person, but actually market to people that are already in your platform, I think is huge. And so we saw, you know, hundreds of people are visiting the site uh, and signing up, but they're not converting. Well, we should focus on those people instead of focusing on the much larger market outside of Iron Mike and focusing on like, oh, hey, you know, here's here, throw an ad out, you know, throw some sort of content out, see if people will, will come by and, and look at Iron Mike. Like, no, we have people looking at Iron Mike, so we should focus on those people first. Once we're done with that, then, of course, we could obviously expand and we can, or even at the same time, we should continue marketing to just anyone in general, but just kind of focusing um, in a non-sleazy way, you know, just kind of pushing extra features or working just with, you know, just one-on-one, -on -one, just like talking with, with people that actually use it and seeing like, hey, you know, what could be improved? What would make you pay? Um, you know, this custom domain is important to you, like stuff like that to actually having more communication uh, with the people currently on your platform, I think is huge. So I absolutely agree. And uh, I like that strategy because it really does help build your brand, right? So uh, if, you, if you get say 100 free users, aside from being a, a small sign of commitment, like getting that commitment from the user to just use their service and maybe eventually upgrade, you also get, as you said, to place those footers at the bottom that say powered by Iron Mike, right? And, you know, uh, visitors will see that, uh, customers will see that, potential customers will see that. Essentially building your brand. And it, it's such a great idea. And I think that a lot of indie makers should actually aspire to use that model, right? So think of paid first. So think of paid first. Uh, this might sound a little strange considering that I built a completely free service. <laughs> But uh, definitely think about paid first and then reduce to free if you're building a paid SaaS, right? Uh, so that way you can have more commitment for people and uh, from people and 
you know, they're probably more likely, definitely more likely to convert. Um, so you, you mentioned something, uh, this is moving away from Iron Mike for a moment, uh, to focus on the indie maker community in general, because I always like discussing the community and how we can improve and uh, strategies for new and uh, new indie makers that are entering the scene and looking at what everybody's doing. Um, wh what are your thoughts, as you mentioned when we started this podcast, uh, uh, about quality versus quantity. What are your thoughts on these uh, 12 uh, startups every <laughs> 12 startups a year challenge? Right, yeah. What are your thoughts on this? I, and, and yeah. Well, so, I mean, obviously, for example, so with, uh, with Ethan uh, doing the, the 12, 24 hour challenge, right? Building, um, uh, what was it, the profile, right? Uh, maker, yeah, Maker.Rocks. Maker right? I think those types of things are good in the sense of actually being active in the community, personal branding, like from that perspective, I think that's huge. And I think that's also why a lot of people do the 12 products per year, because again, it's, you know, cranking out uh, features very quickly and being kind of at the top of like, oh, you know, look at him. He, he uh, released something last a month and the month before I remember, you know, this person is because I see them more frequently. And so from a branding aspect, I think it's huge. But from a sustainability aspect, actually having products that you really focus on, you try to grow them and kind of focusing more on like the quality versus, you know, you don't want to have like 12 MVP stage products. You want to have just one really good, like well-polished product that when someone lands on it, especially if you're making it paid, when someone lands on it, they immediately will want to sign up. Like the conversion rate is going to be really high uh, versus across kind of distributed multiple products. Now, if you make more products and they're all high quality, you know, more power to you. I think you should definitely focus on that route. Um, also, if you're just kind of testing the waters and you don't know what to build, go ahead and do that. But if you're actually focusing on, I guess, more of a business aspect or more of like you kind of, have a good idea of what you want to focus on and build um, and kind of have that one idea be like uh, over ac across like multiple years. Like for example, with Iron Mike, I don't see, you know, it achieving um, an enormous amount of success in just five years. It could be like a 10 year plan. It might, uh, it, it might turn into a different idea or a different business in 10 years, but uh, just kind of focusing and honing on like just one thing uh will allow you to keep improving on that one thing versus kind of, you know, distributing kind of your, I don't know, your skill sets or ideas and kind of seeing what sticks. So uh, once you do find something that is, could potentially get some sort of success, yeah, just focus on that. And, uh, and yeah, just kind of, you know, don't, you know, I guess it's kind of like putting your eggs in one basket, but at the very least you can, uh, I don't know how to properly say this, like, you can kind of get a lot just from that one idea in terms of what you learn from it and sticking with it over uh, the course of multiple years, you'll be able to kind of see that industry or whatever it is grow over time uh, versus kind of just tasting every little thing. And so even if it's not successful in the beginning, you can definitely uh, kind of create your own luck by just sticking with it for a long time. So I, I yeah, I'm not, I think it depends on what you're doing, but I think both are valid. I personally like to stick with one thing if I know for sure, like 
I have a good idea in my head and I have this, you know, this vision in my head, I prefer to stick with it uh, long term. Um, yeah, absolutely. I am also a person that's stuck with one product, of course, MakerLog and the family of products uh, under the MakerLog radar. Um, and I agree. I definitely think that, uh, you know, you should stick to one thing instead of trying to throw as many things as possible into the wall and see what sticks, right? So, uh, I, I'm well, because actually... also, you don't know if it's going to, like, if you see something stick... You don't know if it's going to stick for a long time, right? <laughs> like you, Exactly, yeah. But you, sh you should, I think, still, even if something doesn't stick, try it out for over a year. Like, it, it might work eventually. You, you don't know without trying, right? Sometimes things are like, for example, viral successes, right? So, or, or fads. So, you, you have yeah. something and it turns out everybody on Product Hunt liked it on, on launch day. And, oh, my God, you have a million users now. But on the long term, turns out nobody uses it. And you keep pouring energy into it, and it doesn't really work. Well, you, you have to find a drop-off point in which at one point you say, okay, this didn't really work, and it was a one-time success, and I should move on, right? Yeah. Um, and also, like, you, you could still diversify, right? So, uh, this, again, going back to personal branding, I think that's still, like, such a huge uh, important thing to know is that, you know, Iron Mike is not, like, if Iron Mike fails tomorrow, I honestly could care less because... I'm still growing, you know, my personal brand and the content stuff around it. And so I could immediately go from Iron Mike to some other thing, like, I don't know, Iron Banana or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I could, you know, pivot and go off to something else, you know, maybe get some of the people that were on Iron Mike onto the new idea. But it was really just coming from my personal brand. And so it's still good to, like, diversify kind of the things that you do, but don't focus on kind of one thing and that is like product building don't diversify that until you have one thing that is sticking that is working once you get that kind of going um that's part of what iron Mike kind of the purpose of it being like an automated business and so it would be self-sufficient once we get it to a point where okay it's generating some monthly recurring revenue and then we i can move on to another product and kind of you know repeat that formula over and over um, but if it does fail, you know, move on to the next thing. I still have my personal brand. I'm still creating content and I'm still doing stuff that I enjoy. And so that's the main thing. If you do that, you're uh, less likely to burn out. Uh, Absolutely. And um, it it's, it's, you were saying, yeah, absolutely. And uh, 12 projects a year. Uh, at least I'm a heavy critic of it. I, I don't think it's a great idea you're gonna be dropping a lot on the quality you're gonna be dropping the ball a lot on the quality of the products mm -hmm. and I'd rather have for example at least in my case I'd rather have like a good good well-made product than have 12 crappy products that don't even work and, and are just out there pretty much yeah um, so and that also ties back as you said on the personal brand right so if you're building a personal brand you don't want to attach uh, 12 little badly made things to it right do you want to be held into that standard of quality and and you know uh, you know for example in my case I always make my products uh, with a lot of thought and, and very high quality and I take my time with it um, mostly because I set a standard of quality of quality right I I want my users to be able to expect good high quality working uh, things from me instead of expecting you know one-time lunch on product hunt and that's it and it's dead mm -hmm. right so 
and and there's been a lot of people that have discovered this the the hard way, right? So, uh, Dinuka was one uh, a, a case that lately you know caught my attention that he he was doing the twelve years twelve projects a year challenge, and uh, he noticed that he eventually became extremely burned out, right? He and his team became extremely burned out burned out after a while of shipping products, and. Uh, they eventually left that tactic completely because even though the product the products were relatively successful, now they had twelve products to maintain, right? And mm. that that's uh, extremely extremely tough, right? Um, so it definitely does not work very well on burnout. Uh, it does not work very well in quality, and uh, you know, there's definitely been cases out there that have had a very successful. Uh, uh, trajectory with this and it, it has worked for some people uh, most notably community leaders like uh, levels right he was he is literally the creator of this movement i think um but it doesn't work for everybody and it's mo mostly likely to not work so that's kind of my objection with it and yeah uh, I, I'm not exactly sure that it works. What are your thoughts on on the effectiveness of this method? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it will work for some people. I think they're the outliers, like people that are really efficient at what they do and can kind of go from idea to product very quickly, um, especially just reusing like templates, boilerplates. Like there's ways to do it where you can do it really efficiently. Um, but I think for most people, like it just, it doesn't really make sense. And that's not to say that not everyone is like a you know good enough like developer to do that or, or what. But I think just again, I think it's much easier to just focus on, on one product. And the other thing is, I think there's a coolness aspect to it where you know, especially around the time when like it seemed like everyone was doing it, you wanted to join in too, and you're like oh you know I can do twelve products a year too, right? But it, it's really not a competition or a race, and it's not like you know, if you're just doing it just to kind of look cool and have like, you know, a bunch of, um, you know, Twitter uh, usernames in your bio, like if you're just doing it for that reason with like different emojis, like, you know, probably in it for, for the wrong reasons. So now, for example, I only have Iron Mike and Sunny Commutes, uh, the podcast, uh, on my bio, and that's it. And I could care less. It, you know, it could be one, one, one product on there. Like I could care less um, in terms of, you know, being cool or being the person with like, you know, doing many different things. I just kind of want to do a couple of things that I care about and do them really, all those things related to my personal brand. And so it's much easier to kind of manage it in my head saying like, this is all under like my website and, you know, you know, write an article today, I'll do a video tomorrow. Um, maybe I'll code the next day, but kind of just focusing on a, a few small things versus being like, oh, I have four projects. Well, that project needs a new website. Like the landing page is kind of outdated. That project, I know there's like a bug broken on that. And there's just all these types of things that like kind of pile up and it's all in your head and, you know, you put on some black backlog or something, but it, it still kind of sticks in your head and it's just too much to manage. So in terms of kind of like brain capacity, like kind of just simplifying things, um, not really getting worked up on anything, I think just simplify, like focus on what you enjoy doing the most and just do that one thing, one or two things. And that's it, like, you know, they're, they're, you really shouldn't care about what what people might think of that or if it's cool or whatever the case might be. It's not a competition. Just do what you care about. 
I I agree so much with that because um, as as you said, how do I how do I express this? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just generally a huge yeah to everything you said. I'm just gonna probably recap literally what what you said and then rephrase it. But yes, exactly. You you're completely right. It's not about that competition of showing that you did. Uh, x products a year um and yes mental overload it's a thing it happens if you have way too many projects under your belt and you you have to consider that you have to provide support you have to do bug fixing maintenance uh help things break You're, you might be awake at 2 a.m for each one because your server completely broke you know mm -hmm. all those things pile up and it causes burnout, and that's something a lot of people don't consider, and that's what, unfortunately, a lot of makers that do this challenge uh, find out the hard way. Um, right, and when, you, when you're kind of watching them in that journey, you're like, oh, damn, like, this, this person's, like, really awesome, they're, you know, they're super active, but then you see, you know, a couple months after that, like, they're not doing anything, right? Exactly. So what's the point? Do you want to have, you know, do you want to work on one project continuously, or do you just want to quit eventually? So I think, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we are pretty much at the hour mark right here. So we're going to be concluding this, the, the stream and the podcast right now. Um, I'm going to ask one more question, even though I have a massive list of things that I really want to ask. Um, I'm going to ask one more question. What advice, and this is the traditional shipcast question, what advice would you give to endomakers out there uh, that are new to the scene, trying to build a product and trying to find customers? Mm. I should have watched the, the first episode and come up with an answer, but I think on the spot, like, I think there's a lot of, um, it's not just in the maker community, but I think in development and programming communities as well, there's a lot in terms of imposter syndrome, in terms of thinking, oh, I'm not good enough, or I need to, you know, have skills and need to be able to do this, or, you know, not smart enough, I'm not like these people, etc. I think especially the maker community, I think it's open to literally anyone, especially because of the no-code movements where you don't even need to learn how to code. Like uh, Fajar Siddiq, he, it's, he, he launched an, uh, a game on Product Hunt. He used, a, I forget the, the tool, but he built a game with a no-code platform, uh, so didn't write a single line of code, and he launched a number one uh, product on Product Hunt. Absolutely. And so, and so I think like that's that's huge in terms of like being inclusive, getting um, anyone that wants to build products. If you have any ounce of interest in it, like one, it's worth it. I think um, just the launch aspect of it. I think it's you know a great surge of, of energy and everything. Um, but yeah, just like anyone can do it. I think you don't have to learn how to code. If you uh, if, if you do want to learn how to code, though, you don't have to be an amazing programmer. You don't have to be a good developer. Like you'll learn as you go. You don't need much. You'll learn at, um, like kind of while building that product. So, yeah, just just start. I guess that's the advice. Uh, just start. Just build something, and uh, together we make. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hashtag together we make. All right, everybody. So. Thank you for listening to the Shipcast. It's been an absolute honor to have uh, Sunny Singh here. <laughs>